Uh, good evening. Good to see everyone. You guys are in trouble. Tre Trevor took the clock down, so I'll take that as license. He said I needed a new battery, needed to be reset, but I take that as license to keep on going. Just kidding. So we'll be going through Proverbs 19 tonight. I woke up this morning and um, I read Psalm 5. That's a psalm that I kind of go to when things are kind of troubled. I read that the morning that I got, found out that I got board certified and it was kind of down to the wire and you know, I really had to have that to be board certified and stuff like that to be able to operate in the, in the hospitals and things like that. And Psalm 5 is a very encouraging verse and um, it's neat because it, it talks about what the, what the end is for the bloody and deceitful person. And not that we want that to happen to anyone because we're all bloody and deceitful people in a way, but but I read that, and we'll talk a little bit about that. That comes up in Proverbs 19. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll talk about that when we get to it. But a few weeks ago, too, I think sometime early September, I taught on perseverance here. And that was tough. That's when you're having to look at the camera. And I, I think all of us much prefer being in here with you all. And, and uh, you know, it's much better having a live audience instead of trying to remember to look at the camera. That was difficult. But... But I talk about, talked about that, and um, with perseverance, I'd like to do a second part to that eventually. There's just some really amazing stories of what people can do when they are forced to endure and persevere, and it's a great lesson for the church. And I kind of have the sense now that we as a church should persevere for, for getting a pro-life president into office. Uh, things may be able to be reversed. I don't know that as far as the election count and everything, but... You know, the church may need to persevere beyond what looks hopeless and try to pray for a pro-life president. Uh, the Lord will hold our country accountable for, for voting in people who are pro-choice, which is anti-life. And so we need to keep praying. As Pastor Tim prayed, repentance, revival, everything. We, we don't want people not knowing the Lord, but praying for our country and just persevering in prayer. Even, even what we do tonight, it may be a test for the church, what we do this very night even after the service. And before I forget to mention it too, I'll, I'll mention it at the end, but uh, we'll have men's prayer, we'll have an abbreviated men's prayer, but for the marriage night, if the men could stick around, we'll kind of clear a section for the marriage night, and then men will shoot over for a quick time of prayer, but we certainly want to pray for the elections, and, and always that the Lord's will would be done, but we do want to pray for just a, a godly outcome for our country. So with that, Proverbs 19 <clears throat> Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Also, it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge, and he who sins hastens with his feet. The foolishness of a man twists his way, and his heart frets or complains against the Lord. Wealth makes many friends, but the poor is separated from his friend. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies will not escape. Many entreat the favor of the nobility, and every man is a friend to one who gives gifts. All the brothers of the poor hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He may pursue them with words, yet they abandon him. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will find good. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies shall perish. Luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a servant who to rule over princes. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. <clears throat> the king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. 
A foolish son is the ruin of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dripping. Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Laziness casts one into deep sleep, a deep, a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. He who keeps the commandment keeps his soul, but he who is careless of his ways will die. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. A man of great wrath will suffer punishment, for if you rescue him, you will have to do it again. Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. What is desired in a man is kindness, and a poor man is better than a liar. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. A lazy man buries his hand in the bowl and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. Strike a scoffer, and the simple will become wary. Rebuke one who has understanding, and he will discern knowledge. He who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son who causes shame and brings reproach. Cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. A disreputable witness scorns justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Judgments are prepared for scoffers, and beatings for the backs of fools. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, we praise you, thank you for... As Tawan mentioned, Lord, this church being just an oasis in the chaos of the outside world, Lord, and just the busyness of our lives, Lord, thank you for bringing us in here that your word may instruct us, and we pray to apply it, Lord, and just just appreciate your word and, and how it guards us and protects us, Lord, when we follow in obedience. And so we thank you, Lord, and we we just pray for this body, Lord God, just that you would hand your, have your hand of blessing and protection upon each of the families and individuals that attend here, Lord, and those online as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I wanted to read the whole thing in, you know, 35 minutes or so. It's hard to, hard to pull out too many themes, of course, so we'll look at a few themes. But real quick, a proverb, as Pastor Tim had, had done an introduction on this, just a review, a, a proverb is from the Latin word proverbium, and it simply means a concise group of words expanding upon a single word, such as morality, justice, or laziness. The Hebrew word is masal, which is to be like in comparison or simile. Overall, these are terse maxims or just little nuggets of wisdom that expand on and illustrate uh, just a certain idea. And Proverbs 19, Proverbs being one of the books of wisdom literature, Proverbs 19 is tucked in there, just discussing many miscellaneous Proverbs, discussing right living. A lot of different themes in here, righteous living before the Lord, working hard, proper dealings in business, fidelity in relationships, avoiding the dangers of alcohol and partying, things like that. We see a litany of characters here. In general, you can have a man, you can have a woman, and for every character that you have, you, there's usually a counterweight as well. So you can have the fool, and then you can have the wise man. You can have the wise son or child, and then a foolish child as well. You can have the diligent versus the sluggard, and then the poor but humble versus the rich and the haughty. You can have a righteous man versus a wicked or perverse man or a talebearer. All of that is seen in Proverbs chapter 16. So you have the righteous versus the wicked very often as well. And you also have the prudent wife versus the contentious dripping wife, which Solomon seems to be alluding to Chinese water torture, I'm guessing. That's kind of what it sounds like. That's what he's saying there. Solomon didn't really help matters with with all the wives and everything that he did, he certainly didn't help the situation overall. So 
Um, so you can have all of these contrasts. You can also have a progression. You can have a regular fool, then you can have a prating fool, and then a raging fool, and then you can graduate to scoffer. Proverbs 26.1 says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more, of a ho more hope for a fool than for him. So it sounds like it's better to be a fool than to be a scoffer who's wise in his own eyes. And so uh, you can, you, there can be a progression like that. You can also have transitional characters as well. Even a normally righteous person can do foolish things. And when it happens to me, I prefer to call them misadventures. And I've had several late, lately, thankfully none of them uh, were too bad that happened to me. But when I taught on the perseverance, I mentioned the Japanese hornets coming into our bathroom. And if you heard about that or not, either way, it was kind of a rough situation. So I thought it was a good example of perseverance. It was more desperation. Some people might consider it foolhardy, but we had, we had a bathroom ca cap um, fall off the wall of, on the outside of our house, and we didn't realize that Japanese hornets were making a large nest in our bathroom. And so have you all seen those? Are you familiar with those? They're just gigantic hornets, yellow hornets. They're like this big. And uh, very, very painful to get stung by them, I understand. So we had them making a, a nest in our bathroom. And so uh, I'd forgotten to mention this when I mentioned it when I taught last time, but there were actually several had come in through the vents into our bathroom. And so they came in and they would fly around. And they're so large, they would fly up and they were attracted to the lights in the bathroom. So they would get up underneath the light and then they would, it's like it agitated them. So then the poison would come out. It agitated them so badly. And just this large amount of poison came out of their stingers. And so that's, I knew how much, that would be how much poison would go into me if I got stung by them. So that was intimidating. So out of desperation, I had to put on my rain jacket and climb up two stories on the ladder. And the Lord gave, gave me this wisdom to try to handle the nest because we had tried the poisons and everything and we couldn't get it to work. So I had to go up there with our house vacuum with, a, with a, our house vac and a raincoat on and just tried not to make eye contact with them or anything like that and then tried to suck them <laughs> as, they, as they were flying in and out. And it actually worked, thank God. I never got stung once. And so that allowed me to actually get the cover up there. So... Again, some would consider it foolhardy, but I thought it was a pretty good example of perseverance. It might not have been the wisest thing, but it was, it was kind of a, a tough situation there. Also, I was laughing about this, but about seven or eight weeks ago, I had an ankle sprain. We were draining our pond, and really rough terrain, really slippery and muddy, and I had tools in my hands, and so I, I twisted incorrectly and slipped or something and something went down and I had a bad sprain. I thought I broke my ankle actually. And so that happened. So about four weeks went by and then I was feeling, feeling great overall. And then I watched a, a video on doing parkour, if anybody has heard of that. It's come, if you're not familiar with it, it's a French word. It's kind of like, it's a term for like French military, paramilitary training. So you like run like crazy through the wilderness or cities and you're jumping and running like that. And I really wanted to like exercise my body and just run my body to the maximum and just really just go and just exhaust my body. And I saw these guys doing it in the Dead Sea. So I checked my ankle and it was feeling pretty good. And then I was like, it was a Sunday, Jack and I were talking. I was like, I'm going to go do that parkour today. 
when we get back from church and Jackie and I were on the couch and we were like, yeah, 51-year-old guy, it'll be five minutes and then you'll hear the man down call. And so, <laughs> so as it turned out, it was about 90 seconds because I, I hit a pothole covered with leaves with the same ankle, went down, and that was it. So I wasn't too hard on myself being the 51-year-old guy getting out trying to do that. And, so, and I actually wanted to take a negative and turn it to a positive. So I actually cleared running trails on our land to do, be able to do the parkour. So now we have that out there without the danger of the, pot, the potholes or anything like that. So again, not being too hard, it probably wasn't wise, even though my ankle felt pretty good, but there's just potholes out there that you can't see. The third and final example is also less than flattering, but I watched a guy on, on YouTube, a big beefy professional athlete doing kettlebell training. And so he did these exercises called the Turkish getup. And so he did it with a 45 pound weight. So it's where you lie on your back and then you have the kettlebell straight up so your arm is straight. So it's kind of like doing a bench press. And I could do that part, you know, just bench pressing the 45 pounds wasn't hard, even though it's awkward. And so I tried it at Gold's Gym. So there's little old me lying on the floor in Gold's Gym trying to do this tur Turkish getup. So my first thought was, why do people from Turkey have to get up this way? It's brutal. <laughs> so the goal is you try to stand up with your arm fully extended the whole time. And it is tough. It is very hard to do. I had this 45-pound cannonball swinging over my face precariously. And I was kicking my legs trying to get up. And it, you really... It's tough. It's very tough to do. Extending the arm is not bad. I was afraid someone would eventually come by. You know, I was determined to try to do it, but someone would come by and be like, do you need help getting up? So I'm sure all the men tonight will go home and find something that's 45 pounds to give it a try. So I'm actually trying to get stronger for the days ahead. That is something that I'm trying to do. I'm trying to pull back on work and actually trying to get myself physically in shape for what you know what may be coming in the days and months and years ahead so that's the goal overall i guess the overall warning to the righteous is don't get overly inspired by youtube videos with <laughs> professional athletes even though the righteous we can we can fall for this kind of things especially for 51 the only connection to youtube and the first story with the japanese hornets is i did want one of the children to videotape me so so if I did fall, then we would have a video of me trying, falling two stories, trying to rip off my rain jacket while you know, simultaneously ripping off the rain jacket while getting stung by Japanese hornets. And I figured at least that, if it went viral, that would help defray the medical costs. <laughs> so anyway, so that's the important thing is, is um, not getting too inspired by things that you see on YouTube, I guess. So the bottom line is even the righteous can do foolish things at times, and I've certainly had my share. So a few key verses for us tonight. Verses 1 through 7 relate to the poor. Verse 1 is a, a great summary. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one perverse in his lips and is a fool. So we know that the seeking of riches by deceit or by a lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro by them that seek death. That's Proverbs 21.6. So when you see these super wealthy people and they're out, out there making money hand over fist and they're doing it deceitfully, we're called not to be envious of them and especially not to be tempted to follow their ways. We just can't do that. It's not worth it. They're seeking death. They're willing to do whatever it takes. They're selling their soul in a sense to, to gain the wealth and we're not to be jealous or envious of that. The Bible explicitly warns against that. Proverbs 16.8 says, 
better is a little with the righteous than great revenues without right. So even if you have a little bit and you're working hard and honestly trying to gain that, that's better than doing it by deceit. So being taken care. So that's Proverbs 21 and Proverbs 16. Back to Proverbs 19, verse 3 is interesting. It says, The foolishness of a man twists his way and his heart frets against the Lord. So this is a complaining against the Lord, and, and you really kind of see it a lot, where people are right in their own eyes, but they're embittered against the Lord for their failures to heed warnings, and they're, they're not walking in the Spirit or, or just not saved at all, and they're, they're doing things their own way, acting in their flesh. And then that leads to things like alcoholism, drug addiction, abortion, all kinds of things like that. Even some things that aren't even as dramatic as, a, as an abortion or something like that, but just even making terrible financial decisions. They never sit down and combine a strategy with self-discipline, or they're not working hard, not, not telling their children, not leading by example. Uh, I tell our family, I, I tell our children, and I, I feel like I've worked two lifetimes to build up our practice to where it is. And, and not just me only. Pastor Tim worked five years as a pastor as well as working at Microsoft. Scott recently got a promotion within the past couple of years and got two jobs kind of combined in one. And Trevor as well, sort of working at, working at the bank as a project manager, but then also as a de facto employee for the church. But the reason why is because we want to lead by example. We are called to be industrious people. And, the, and so you really can't blame the, lo the Lord, back to verse 3, if you make all these terrible decisions and you're not heeding God's word, then you have to live with the consequences. And so, uh, so we've worked very hard, and, and thankfully, even COVID has actually, actually helped me scale back where they, they now want us to go into, any, going into the, some of these facilities, they want us to take a COVID test and so that's allowed me to gracefully back out now out of three facilities where it's just too much running around and just too much to do. When you're starting out, you kind of have to take what you can get, but thankfully now just kind of pulling away from that, making sure there's good family time and focusing on my health and things like that and serving here at the church. But with the COVID test, if you get a false positive or you know, even if you're feeling great and you test positively, then you you have to pull out of work for a couple of weeks, so I'd have to pull out of the office, so it just doesn't make sense. But it's, it's been a blessing. It's allowed me to professionally and gracefully pull away from work, something that I've wanted to do in, for quite a while. But the bottom line is we're called to be a good example, and there's the, the biblical principle, according to Zechariah, it's good for a man to bear the labor of his youth, and uh, uh, I'm sorry, bear his labor in his youth. So that's good, that's a biblical principle to follow, just working hard, especially when you're young, and then, um, you know, and then when you're older, you can, you're a little bit wiser, and you manage your time and your efforts better. And we see a double emphasis in Proverbs 19.15 and 19.24, so this is kind of all along the, the lines of laziness. Proverbs 19.15 says, laziness, laziness casts one into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Proverbs 19.24 says, A lazy man buries his hand in the bowl and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. And we know idleness is a sin. So important to bear in mind that idleness is not rest. Excuse me, one second. So it's very important to pass the hard work ethic onto our children. And we as Christians should not have an entitled mindset, entitlement mindset at all. We have a family story that I like to reiterate to our 
our children, especially because in this country nowadays, so many people are accusing other people of having just been born into wealth and everything's easy and things like that. You can't assume that about anybody. If, you, if you've been born in America, you've already been given a leg up. So, you know, if, you can, if you're willing to go work for it and, and go, you know, be industrious, then that's a biblical principle to follow. But people shouldn't go around pointing fingers and, and just assuming that other people have had everything given to them. Our, my great-grandfather, this is the story we tell our children, but my great-grandfather, our family migrated as farmers kind of from Pennsylvania in the 1700s, then moved west like a lot of families toward the Midwest, and we were in Nebraska for a while. My great-grandfather, very poor people overall, the, the, the part of the story that's amazing is that right around the turn of the century from the 1800s to the 1900s, all they had to eat was a barrel with frozen cabbages in it. That's what had to sustain them through the entire winter. And so just very, very poor people. My great-grandfather worked very hard so that he ended up having a general store, a bank, and seven farms. He had built up all of this, and so just worked very hard. He ended up losing it all in the Depression. He wouldn't call people on their homes. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, um, he wouldn't kick them out of their homes or evict them or anything like that. So then the family moved westward to California like so many people did because agriculture got hit hard in the, in the Great Depression as well. So we moved to California where my father was born and I was born as well. I'm not sure about my grandfather if he was born in Nebraska or California, but we eventually moved westward. And my great-grandfather, he started again, but then he was getting pretty old to try to, try to do much. But you know, the Depression wiped them out. So, like many families have been through things like that. So, you can be industrious and work hard. We shouldn't make assumptions we, about where someone started, and we should, should certainly not have a lazy or entitlement uh, mindset as well. There's another double emphasis about false witnesses. Proverbs 19.5 <clears throat> says, A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies will not escape. And then verse 9, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies shall perish. And a lot of people tend to think of Naboth's vineyard. I even looked through Ironside's commentary, and he brought this up as well. But Naboth's vineyard with King Ahab is a good example of the classic, kind of the classic example of the false witnesses. And I'm sure most of you know the story, but Ahab wanted the, the vineyard, and it was a heritage to, to Naboth, so Ahab wasn't able to get it, but then Jezebel comes in and she's able to arrange for Naboth to be stoned and then to get the, the vineyard for King Ahab. And so Ahab does go to get possession and take possession instead of doing the right thing, like holding everyone accountable. He doesn't do that, including Jezebel. He doesn't do that or the, the false witnesses. So then the Lord holds Ahab accountable to be killed. So it would be Ahab having to get ki getting killed, Jezebel would get killed, but interestingly, Ahab's whole family would have to be killed at this point. So again, bearing in mind false witnesses, sometimes the Lord allows people to go through certain actions, and sometimes they carry it all the way through, like with Naboth. You know, it's, it's an example for us. It's tragic for him. It's an example for us, though, that Naboth would be killed. Sometimes the Lord intervenes and someone isn't, you know, the sinful act isn't carried through all the way. But it's interesting that Ahab's family would have to be killed at this point where it seems like it might be life for life for Ahab. Naboth was murdered, and that is a horrible, 
horrible sin that Ahab did, um, but it, it could have, I, I wonder if it could have turned out differently. It's interesting that it wasn't just life for life, but it would be, it would be King Ahab's family for Naboth, and it's interesting that, that Ahab would be um, marked for extermination like Jeroboam was, marked for destruction like his whole family. But the reason why is because of compounded sin and disobedience. And when you look back a chapter, this is, Naboth is in 1 Kings chapter 21. When you go back a chapter to 1 Kings 20, there's an insight there where Ahab had already proven himself disobedient in 1 Kings chapter 20, so before Naboth and his vineyard. In other words, he had been so disobedient that his life was actually already forfeit at that time. He had already kind of played that card of, of the life for life. So now the sin has escalated, and so his whole family would be at stake. So again, bearing in mind, this is, from the Lord's point of view, sometimes how severely being a false witness can be, and lying and deceit and all of those things. So what happens in 1 Kings chapter 20 is Ahab defeated Ben-Hadad of Syria and the whole Syrian army. Ahab defeated the Syrians and was supposed to kill Ben-Hadad. And this sounds a lot like Saul as well. But Ahab, not following God's word and, and should have known about Saul, he was supposed to execute Ben-Hadad, but instead he makes a covenant with Ben-Hadad, which is the Syrian king. So the Lord would send one of the prophets, and one of the prophets disguises himself to make him look like he's been wounded, and he stops Ahab, who's traveling on the road back from battle. And then the prophet calls out, and he says, and it says in, in 1 Kings 20, now as the king passed by, he cried out to the king, so that's the prophet crying out to King Ahab, and said, your servant, meaning himself, went out into the midst of the battle, and there a man came over and brought, me, brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. When I was busy here and there, he escaped. Then Ahab said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. So in other words, this prophet makes it look like he's been in, he disguises himself, he makes himself look like he's been in battle. He approaches King Ahab, Ahab stops, and he says, King, I was guarding this person, and when I was busy, he escaped, and I was warned, life for life, that I would have to die if he escaped. And so then Ahab's like, well, you yourself have decided it. So then the prophet removes his bandages, and Ahab recognized, recognized him as one of the prophets. Then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I have appointed to utter destruction, Therefore, your life shall go for his life, and your people for his people. So 1 Kings 20, Ahab is disobedient to the point of death. So that's where the life for life comes in, but it escalates in 1 Kings chapter 21. He escalates his disobedience. And maybe the Lord would have, would have judged Ahab's whole family regardless. I don't know that for sure. But it's interesting that Ahab had already, he had, already had the punishment, so... He couldn't do, in a sense, with the Lord, he couldn't repeat the life-for-life the life punishment. Then it went to his family. And we see that other places as well. Jeroboam is one that's, that's marked for his whole family as well. So serious business with that. And so as we read later on, Ahab, Ahab's house would be exterminated. Jezebel would be killed by Jehu, his, uh, King Ahab's son. Sons would be killed by Jehu, and his daughter Athaliah would also be executed. So the Lord held Ahab accountable, 
And Ahab, again, could have executed justice for Naboth, and he could have made things right, but he didn't. So that's the example, and that fulfills the proverb of that false witnesses will not escape, as we just read there in Proverbs 19. And uh, some of the other miscellaneous proverbs, Proverbs 19.11, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, and his glory is to overlook a transgression. Proverbs 11.13 says, regarding the whisperer, a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. The New Testament reinforces this as well, that we're to overlook sin out of love. In certain cases, we can forgive sin. Sometimes we have to call sin out, but it needs to be done properly and also out of love. And then we also forgive sin out of love as well. One New Testament correlation, 1 Peter 4, 7 through 8 says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. This is also found in the Torah. It's also strictly forbidden under Levitical law. Leviticus 19.16 says, you shall not go about as a talebearer among your people. So we're not to be exposing people's sin and telling people about it. It's not just avoiding slander, the things that may or may not be true, but even broadcasting things that are true. In other words, you're not to put people's weaknesses out and, and expose these things that can be harmful to people, especially if a person is trying to overcome sin or a situation like that. We do see a lot of that with social media these days. That's the fruit of social media, sadly, as well. And just, just putting things out there as opposed to covering sins. Uh, we can have a little interesting time in some he Hebrew midrash on this topic as well. The Israelites had a term for the sin that was called Lashon Hera, and that's reference to having an, like an evil tongue is what it says, and it's one of, the, one of the most serious sins out there. It's interesting, when I was studying and preparing for this, some sins are associated with the disease of leprosy, where the Lord would have to bring the people kind of back in the line with leprosy. And it's interesting that with, with the spiritual matters, how leprosy would be diagnosed by a priest, not a doctor. So, it seemed, so leprosy seemed to be related to the spiritual condition of the people. So according to Hebrew Midrash, the first person to contract leprosy in the Bible was, does anybody know? Anybody have any thoughts? This surprised me. Uh, Moses himself actually had, and that's what I would have said, Miriam too, and after I had thought about it for a really long time, because it didn't come to me, and I, then I just read the answer, so because I kind of cheated. But, but yes, Mo Moses himself, and it ties into the story with Miriam as well. And it's just, it's interesting. So this is Hebrew Midrash, and why would that happen? The, the thought is that Moses was like, well, the people won't believe that you sent me. But when you read Exodus chapter 4, it doesn't necessarily read like that. So... I think we can explore it as a teaching point, but when you read Exodus 4, you know, the Lord is talking to him, and there is even thought in the, the ancient rabbis used to think, or they, maybe they still do, but there's some thought that even with Moses, you know, not really wanting to step up, that that's why Aaron became the high priest and, and Moses' Moses's descendants wouldn't, weren't, a, they weren't the high priest. That would actually come from the line of Aaron. But... You know, we don't know for certain overall. It seems to be showing the power of God, but we can explore it as a teaching point just because the Lord did use the same punishment on Miriam, the sister of Moses. It's the same terminology as well. And that what happens with Moses 
as you all know, Moses stuck his hand in and it came out white as, as snow, then he put it back in and it was healed. So maybe there's some spiritual insight or a subtle hint in there about Moses complaining about the people, but I don't want to make too much out of that. It was interesting where, where Aaron and Miriam seemed to have a complaint against Moses because of his Ethiopian wife. It seems like pride had crept in where they wanted recognition in the leadership position as well. And then the Lord calls them out, as, as you all know the story. So the Lord actually calls them out of the tent. I love the imagery of the story, by the way. There's three 80-year-olds getting called out because they're in trouble, three brothers and sisters fighting. So you three, come on out. <laughs> and then, and bearing in mind their age, so, and I can imagine everyone looking down and rubbing their feet in the dirt and things like that. Aaron definitely was. Numbers 12:8 says, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he, which is the Lord, departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, white as snow. White as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. Then Aaron begins to intercede as the high priest. So it sounds like, it sounds like Aaron is just kind of looking down and, and uh, knowing that he's in trouble. It seems like all of them kind of seem to be thinking that. So it's, it's just an interesting, maybe there's a subtle spiritual insight there. We know that, and if, if you could extract anything from the story, it seems like it works both ways, where Moses complaining about the people, as he would find out later, complaining about the people and misrepresenting the people, would, he would suffer consequences not being able to enter the promised land. But definitely when the people complain about Moses, or the leader, there's also consequences as well. So just an interesting story there. Uh, final section, just going through some of my favorite verses and why we have such good news to share in the gospel. Proverbs 19.16, he who keeps the commandment keeps his soul. And Proverbs 19.23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. So I love these two verses. He who keeps the commandment fears his soul. In 1923, the fear of the Lord leads to life. The delineating factor seems to be that whoever despises the word gets punishment versus whoever fears the word and the commandment gets eternal life. So a key verse, if you don't remember anything out of this, just a great verse is Proverbs 13, verses 13 and 14. It says, he who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. So again, those that despise the word, the scoffers out there, that's, that's my whole family that despise the word, they reject it, and then that, you have to suffer the consequences from that, whereas he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. So that's Proverbs 13 and 14. For us as Christians, the fear of the Lord leads to the joy of the Lord. And Proverbs has a lot of verses about life, and that's what I want to want to finish up with. Revelation 2.7 says, He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So if you could hold that thought for just a second, and we'll resume, because I want to, I would rather leave you with the word of God than, than my thoughts or anything like that. But I love thinking about the tree of life and what things are going to be like in the millennial reign, and then eventually merging into heaven. Just what, what a great encouragement for us. And again, this is why we want to share 
just such a such a blessing knowing what the future holds for us no matter how how bad it gets and we know that there's going to be a rough period but before it gets to all this but it's encouraging looking forward and i love things like i love all the verses we'll get back to the proverbs talking about life and all the verses that have to do with life but it's neat thinking about the tree of life where you can eat the fruit and the leaves from the tree of life and i I was thinking this is why i love agriculture and working in our garden where we grow a lot of fruit trees and leafy leafy greens and the tree of life just thinking about that wow what if like the tree of life is just all the combination of everything out there that the, the lord made throughout the earth, through all people throughout the earth, all the fruits, all the vegetables, all that. Imagine what the tree of life is going to be like. You know, of course, that's not, <clears throat> you know, you're not going to escape death or anything like that. Not until we're in heaven, but over the past few years, we've grown a, a bunch of fruit trees, and the purpose of that was to satisfy my sweet tooth. So, like in May, we, we get about two or 300 strawberries a day, and then peaches, pecans, pears, figs, all these things. Just really, it's just a neat foreshadowing of what the millennial reign may be like. In fact, it says in the Bible that we'll sleep under our our fig tree. So imagine that for just a moment, just thinking what that's going to be like when we're not going to have the concern of crime and our houses being broken into and things like that. And we grow all these other greens as well, like lettuce, spinach, parsley, cilantro, chard, arugula, fenugreek all these things and then we combine them into one blender and we call it swamp water and it's all ground up no sweets in there scott hates that that story but it's dynamite it's just health but and we we need to work on the marketing for the younger children because they haven't had any yet but it's just it just is so healthy having that all the stuff i just love going out in the rain and cutting lettuce and all the greens and all the fruit and stuff like that and then just having it all this is just a little foreshadowing of imagine what it's going to be like during the millennial reign and then that eventually leading to heaven as well. And what I love about the Proverbs and the Bible just in general and how we should be a people, we should represent life. Everything about us should represent life, which is so neat. And that's why we can enjoy and share. The Bible talks about new life, abundant life, overflowing life, and Lord willing, a long life as well. So. Just to finish up with the scriptures about life, Revelation 2.10, Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. But thou be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Revelation 3.5 says, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white clothing or raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father before and before his angels. Now tie that in with Psalm 46, verses 4 and 5, please. It says, There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. So we see here we have a fountain of life. Like Pastor Tim mentioned at the very beginning, we have a fountain of life in the living waters. We have a tree of life, a crown of life, in the book of life, and eternal life. So imagine all of us together eating from the tree of life in the paradise of God by the fountain of life, the living waters, and by the river of God, wearing your crown of life, knowing you're secure with your name written in the book of life. So 
That's our future as believers. That is the very good news. Finally, last one, Revelation 22, verse 1. Sorry about my voice. It's kind of dry. Sorry about that. And he showed me a river of pure water. I'm sorry. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. And on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the trees, tree were for the healing of the nations. So with that, we're finished. Men, if you could stick around, please, to help us right after we pray, and then we'll do just a real quick time of prayer, please. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement, Lord, that we can be a forward-looking people. We have these things to look forward to, Lord Jesus, and we know that you're with us day by day, Lord. We thank you for that, Father, and we trust you and praise you and thank you. And we know that you'll make all things right at the end, Lord. And until then, we pray that you would grant your Holy Spirit to be with us, Lord, as a church family, as we seek to honor you. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.